what got you to where you are? Okay. Big question. Um, but like, I was super into fashion when I was in high school, especially. I was like sewing my own clothes. I was looking at runway collections. I was like even looking at trends. I remember. Um, and I mean, I'm from like a very, very small secluded community in um, Northern Canada. So fashion just like isn't a thing there. Um, <laughs> so when I started wearing, like I made my own like high-waisted pants that basically came up to like where my bra was. And at, in an era of like low rise, like pre-2010s, everyone was like, oh, that's so weird. But I was like, no, you guys don't understand. Like I saw it on the runway. And so I had to make my own version. Um, but some of the stuff, (laughs) thanks. I mean, it was like, it sounds cool, but it was probably a little bit horrifying for my parents. Some of the stuff I was like very badly sewing together and then wearing to school. Um, (laughs) but you know, they were okay with it. Um, self-expression and all. Yeah, exactly. And they, they're a bit like hippie ish. So they didn't love like fashion but they liked that I was like into like making my own clothes and had self-expression and had something that I liked doing so um yeah that was cool um and so then the one thing was though I was like I want to go to fashion school um and my parents were like "Mm, maybe something like more practical um (laughs) So I did, um, I went to university, I did a psychology degree, and then I got, I realized, because I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a therapist and help people. Um, And then I got really into neuroscience while I was there and the research and understanding the brain. Um, And so I did a master's in uh, cognitive neuroscience, focusing in on like the study of visual consciousness. So how our brain is able to like, Because it's such a big question. It's like, okay, this is my world. This is what I'm seeing. I know what parts of the brain are processing that for me, but is the way I'm processing it the same as the way you're processing it? Um, And it's like an endless black hole of a research question that, you know, is probably never going to be actually solved um, the problem of consciousness. So I'm from Canada, but I got the opportunity and a really nice scholarship to come to the University of Amsterdam to study consciousness. Um, And it was like some of the best kind of consciousness researchers in the world here. I got to work with people I really admired. Um, But funny enough, uh, this one professor, (laughs) um, but I, when I was in Canada, I would like read his papers. I'd be like, oh my God, he's so smart. He has the exact career I want. He's like such a successful neuroscience academic tenured professor. Um, And then him and I worked together and we became friends. And he was like, honestly, I don't think I picked the right path. My greatest joys come from my beekeeping and my children. Um, And he was like, another thing was um, this problem in academia where um, it's publish or perish. So you have to publish a lot um, in order to stay relevant, in order to make money. But sometimes when you have to produce so much, it's, you know, quality over quantity. And he's like, he basically said to me, he's like, you're probably not going to be successful in this like field of academia unless you're like willing to forgo your morals. Mm. Um, and I was like, whoa, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I think he was, I think he was going through a bit of a, a 
depression, but it really, <laughs> really did impact me. Um, I Maybe this isn't for me, this sort of PhD academia stuff. Um, so I basically took, um, I had picked up a lot of like programming and statistics and research skills. Um, and I applied that into data science. So then I started working um, as a data scientist, data analyst um, within a um, branding um, and campaign kind of creation creative studio, uh, which was cool. Um, and now my current nine to five job is sort of half um, doing data science, market research, statistics, and then half doing um like brand and campaign strategy. Um, and so then for getting to the the account, I was using all these like cool tools where I was like collecting and analyzing data for a lot of like tech companies and their campaigns and their branding and whatever. And I was like, oh, I could use this to like look up fashion trends um, or I could use similar techniques to what I was doing at work um, to look at yeah, fashion, fashion trends, um, runway collections, that sort of thing. And so I sort of just started posting my findings and, and insights, and it's gone really well so far, which is cool. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Thanks. <laughs> Your passion is clearly exemplified in what you're doing, and I, it's so cool. It's okay. that is you are <laughs> so <laughs> fucking cool to also give yourself that grace and that space to pivot after that conversation. And that must not have been an easy decision to make, especially after. I mean, you were in Amsterdam at that time. You were in another country. Yeah. Yeah, and it was weird because it's sort of like um, being an academic. I was in a really competitive master's program full of people who research academia, PhD is like everything that everyone was doing. And so it was honestly very weird for me um, mm. to pivot away from that. And I even have friends now who are like, you know, they're all doing PhDs and they're like, Oh, but what what is it that you do? Oh, but is that even real research? And I'm like, well, not really. But again, like there's pluses and minuses because, you know, academic research can be really narrow as well. Like consciousness research, um, you know, it's not that applicable. Sure. Like we're trying to solve this question and it'll be really cool if someone can solve it. But mm -hmm. it, does it really have an impact on like the the world? Like not really. Grand scheme. Yeah. Yeah. I think that should be your argument next time they ask you and be like, well, what about your research? I mean, then you run into people like my, a close friend of mine is doing like empathy, neuroscience and psychopaths. And I'm like, like the parts of your brain that are responsible for empathy and looking at there's differences in like psychopathic behaviors and not. And can we predict if people are going to have psychopathic behaviors based on their brain structure and I'm like okay that has like some real real world real world implications but sometimes you know it they research it's kind of not super useful <laughs> <laughs> in university I took a marketing um and forecasting class and that I think might have been one of the only classes that I looked forward to doing my homework and 
really investing my time and my energy in it because not only was it something that I was passionate about, I mean, trends and the way that the world is entices me, um, but also it's it's a superpower. I really do believe having that knowledge and analytical skills. What was your degree in that you had a, a course like that? I was in fashion business for two years, and then I switched over to advertising and marketing. Okay, cool. So we're really in the same like line. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I love it. It's it's so interesting to to follow along what you are researching and what it is that you're unpacking for yeah your audience. That's really nice to hear because sometimes I I mean you probably get it with social media. Sometimes it's like you're just speaking into the void, um, but you don't know like who's who's seeing it and who's actually liking it. Um, but that's really cool that you align with it. And that's also really cool that you studied it formally because now that I'm getting more into like kind of this campaign strategy and proper trend forecasting, I'm having to do a lot of like more self-education. So um, like I'm reading how to research trends by like Al's draft right now. And it's really helpful. I'm like, wow, this would have been great like six months ago when I started <laughs> the account. Um, Cause up until this point, it's really been like, really been just me making making it up like making up the methodology and then it's really cool to see okay there's people who are who are proper trend forecasters who really have like a career out of this um and they're doing really cool work and they're um really structured and scientific in their approach so trying to learn from them properly (laughs) Hmm. And it's also, I think, you know, you have to make mistakes and you need to fumble the bag in some aspects in order to learn what it is and how it is that you want to be. What your professor said to you about pursuing that career and like losing yourself and sort of sacrificing your own morals for the sake of your research. I'm still thinking about that because it's like, I don't know. I, I really think that there's... Yeah, I I think though it's hard because when I first heard that, I thought academia was so pure and we were doing like the best work ever, you know? But I mm-hmm. think that dichotomy exists um, in everything. Like what we briefly mentioned before we started recording, I love talking about fashion. I love new designers. I love um, talking about fashion trends and what's trending and what's not, but that comes problems. Um, Sure. Like I would hope that I can do my best to direct people to, you know, brands or secondhand retailers or vintage resellers, or I mean, designers that I really care about and are, are producing clothes that are, um, basically just not not fast fashion but i know that me that's really difficult because a lot of people might see my videos and be like oh ballet flats are trending i'm going to go pick up a pair of fast fashion ballet flats even mm-hmm. and i get that, that that's kind of what i'm promoting but then in my personal life you know i always buy secondhand or always buy from brands or concept stores that i really care about um, and align with and so it's this tricky dichotomy where even what i'm doing now i'm having to sort of 
um, be aware that not everything I do is perfectly in line with my morals, Hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So how has that allowed you to expand and grow as a human? I ask because I'm interested (laughs) and um, (laughs) admire it. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think it's about for me, you know, not everything is going to come from a secondhand retailer. So really make connections with like artists and brands or curators that I really care about. Um, Like my first um, brand gift ever was from um, a concept store in Amsterdam called Innie and they basically feature Ukrainian designers and artists and brands and like yeah of course like you know you know that's like a group of people who there's a lot going on in the world and a lot of people who need to be supported but that's mm-hmm. like a group of creators and artists that um, also need to be supported right now you know there's still a war there so yeah trying to find you because fashion is such an expression and it's such an expression for people and so supporting designers who maybe need that little like extra bit of support so that they can have their passion and live their dreams um so I think in my personal life just looking out for a lot more um and and so that it supports the work but looking out for a lot more brands and people that I really care about and align with and align with what they're doing and then using my platform to maybe help them out or give them a boost or get what they're doing in front of a few more eyes. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to do now and how it's shifting a little bit. It's not perfect. um, But someday I think, yeah, hopefully I can yeah, promote, promote stuff that I care about on my platform. And that, that being consistent Mm -hmm. with my own moral compass, because I think in the world that we live in right now, it's very easy to, not the world that we live in, that sounds so silly and broad, but it's like, (laughs) you might have a set of like internal goals um, and motivations and then trying to live within those day to day is sometimes very difficult. Um, So trying to kind of check yourself against your morals and are you doing things that you really believe in and like I don't know I guess an example would be like I know how bad dairy is for like the world and the cows and then I'm still eating cheese I'm like hey I gotta gotta check myself because I know that this is bad (laughs) um and then I continue to do it so yeah trying to live intentionally and live within my own moral compass is sort of what I'm working on right now yeah And it's always going to be an ebb and flow sort of situation. And to your point of the dairy, I love that because I've been there and I've had those thoughts myself. And so with the intentionality of seeking out sources that are ethical and sustainable Mm -hmm. and being intentional in that way, for example, have opted to purchase from farmers markets over going to Whole Foods or another retail chain of that sort. Um, And so I will go out of my way to (laughs) hit the produce man on my way home from the subway so that I can pick up whatever it is that I want 
to make that evening for my Mm -hmm. meal. And so being intentional in that way, I don't know, I think has allowed me really to connect on deeper and more intimate level than that I like even would have acknowledged because being that intentional with my actions and so for example if I'm making like a stir fry then what vegetables do I want to put into that dish Mm. and I think that it can be fun to experiment and kind of like find what it is that works for you through through that intentionality and through you know letting your compass guide you it doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be gray and boring (laughs) yeah no definitely not and I think with the account it's like very easy or with anything honestly with how you eat how you act throughout the day you know if we're bringing it back to like the style analytics platform, like the content I'm putting out, sometimes it's easier just to do like the easy thing, like, oh, I can make this, I can just run to the kind of crappy grocery store and get like a bunch of vegetables that are in plastic, or I can make a video that doesn't really align, but I know it'll do well, or um, Mm -hmm. slacking a little bit work or something like that. And then it's like, okay, no, I have to like check myself. And I think that's honestly being accountable and being intentional is probably it's it's so good for your self-confidence as well and your self-image like when you align with yourself and your moral compass and you're like oh I can like be the good person that I intend to be um I can I can live up to the standards that I'm setting for myself that's like when I feel the best about myself it's like oh I did go to the farmer's market this week and I did put out did do good good work at my job and put out content that I care about and, you know, was intentional with my interactions with people. Whereas, you know, we all have those weeks where it's like eating whatever, doing whatever, you know, slacking off in, in, in different aspects of your life. And then that's when I kind of like lose, lose confidence with myself, I guess. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. It resonates uh, deeply. And what you're saying in my mind I'm seeing it as like you're just you're adding a marble into the jar of who you want to be Mm -hmm. and the best version of yourself Mm -hmm. by holding yourself accountable and doing what it is that might not always feel comfortable but you know after that initial discomfort the relief and the satisfaction and the gratification that you will feel for yourself in your skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like un- unmatched, like no sweater or like pair of ballet flats or whatever is going to like increase your self-confidence as much as um, aligning with yourself and and aligning with the person that you want to be. How has style analytics, how has it allowed you to I guess, appreciate yourself more? Yeah, that's that's a nice question. Um, I think, um, huh. I think I was always looking for, I, I kind of work with 
with creatives in my job at like this branding and marketing agency. And they always had these cool side projects. Um, like one of my old managers, she would basically turn really cool bars in Amsterdam into like learning experiences, um, whether it was like about, you know, fashion or sustainability or whatever. And these really cool kind of museum level exhibits. And I was like, wow, she's so cool. She has this amazing side hobby. Um, and I was always kind of looking for that thing, like what is going to be my thing that's not my job that like I really care about that I can get lost in. Um, and I always felt like when I was, you know, a kid or a teenager, like I wasn't very good at anything. I wasn't like the best. I didn't have like hobbies that were super central to to who I was. Even like this time last year, this time last year, I was trying to, I, I read and I write a lot as well. And I was trying to write a book because I thought that was like going to be my thing. Okay. I'm going to be a writer. And it was, it was <laughs> torture. And I've since, since heard people being like, writers don't like writing. Writers like when they're done writing. And I was like, that's mm. so true. Um, but I, I was really looking for a long time for something I was like, there was another period where I was super into yoga. I was like, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. That's going to be like my side passion, hobby thing. Um, and Been I wasn't there. feeling super passionate about my job. Um, and actually, that's sort of how Style Analytics came out a little bit was because I wasn't feeling super aligned with my job. And then I was like, okay, if I could work in any industry, what would it be? Okay, it would be fashion. And what fashion job, fashion and jobs is there where I could apply my skill set of like data analytics and a little bit of strategy. Um, and I looked around and there wasn't really anything um, immediately in Amsterdam. And then style analytics kind of came about because I was like, I can just make up my own dream job. Um, I can just do the job that I actually want to have. Um and no one has to pay me for it, but at least I can I can do it and maybe it'll turn into something. Um, and then I think that's it. It gave me so much confidence because I had a thing that I could get lost in that I really enjoyed doing. Like I could just like sit there researching fashion trends or aesthetics all day. Um, like Friday's my work from home day. I can't believe it's already... 4.30 in the afternoon because um, it's just completely flown by. Um, and so that's how it's kind of given me the confidence. It's given me like something that I'm good at, that I like doing, um, that I'm passionate about, that I can put myself in, um, that I, I get feedback from people, which is also um, really cool. Like I got a DM this morning from this girl and she's like, I never thought I was going to take a programming class, but I want to take a programming class now because I want to do what you do. And I was like, Oh, that's so <laughs> heartfelt. If oh. I could like encourage someone to, to take a Python class or something. So yeah, it really, really has helped me build self-image and self-confidence quite a lot. Yeah. I love that you're now doing voiceovers because you can, <laughs> you like break it down and it's been a refreshing opportunity to follow along because you explain it in a way that is understandable. And okay. I love that. <laughs> That's really nice to hear because um, one thing I actually wanted to improve with the platform was describing how I do research and forecasting 
Um, but it just, it's never really seemed to fit into a one minute video. So I think I need to commit to kind of some sort of longer form content um, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are interested. And I think there's a lot of people who maybe misunderstand what I'm doing. And so really digging into the research process and how it's actually um, done, I think. I mean, it sounds like it would align with you, which is cool. So even if I make it for one person, that's really cool. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I sat down for a meeting um, with a startup founder guy a few weeks ago, and he really thought that what I was doing was I had this like massive database of like hundreds and thousands of search terms and trends. And I was just sitting there like monitoring um, like which trends were going up and which trends were going down as if I was like some incredible software developer. And I had to explain to him, like, I'm a, I'm a data analyst. I'm, I'm nowhere near a software developer. Like, you know, this sort of trend forecasting thing, it's really someone something anyone can can do it's not you don't really need like this huge crazy technical skill set um like what i what i do is i i have like a notes file full of like all of the things that i'm like noticing when it comes to like trends or things happening in fashion and sometimes you know it comes together and i'll have like a hypothesis about something and then i'll check the data and be like oh yeah the data is there the data supports it and about you know half the time i look for data to support my hypothesis and there's nothing there and and i and that trend isn't actually happening the way that i think it's happening um but yeah it's kind of like with the kangle hat trend i was like oh i saw this like really um cool guy at the grocery store wearing a Kangle hat. And then I saw one influencer wearing one and then maybe there's something there. And then I look at my data sources like Google, TikTok, Pinterest, and then the data supports that. So then I make a video about it. But sometimes I make observations and I think something's going to be trending and there's no data to support it. Um, But yeah. Yet. Yet. Yeah, maybe. Um, But yeah, so trend forecasting and, and it's something... Yeah, I, d- I hope I don't op- overcomplicate it on my platform because it really is something everyone does and everyone can do. Everyone can can make observations about the world and take note of like, oh, I've seen this happening a few times. Could this be an upcoming trend? Could this be something um, there? And then and then checking the data or check or researching it further or seeing if anyone else is talking about it online to kind of check your forecast a little bit. That's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Honestly. And I just, I have to say, you are dope. Like, you were so dope. When you were, when you were saying about that guy, I feel like he might think that you're like the great and powerful Oz. And then, <laughs> but with, not but, as we were saying, and, yeah. um, like, 100%, it is magic what you're doing. Like, I will say that some of the things that I do and some of the art that I create, I don't see it as magic or as art. I just, mm-hmm. it's self-expression. It's something I'm interested in. But then, I don't know, it might be biased, but, like, my best friend's like, oh, my gosh, you should totally sell this. This is amazing. Yeah. And you're like, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's just <laughs> It's just a hobby. 
Yeah. yeah. What kind of art are you making, actually? Right now, I am kind of in the middle of a few different things. Um, <laughs> at the moment, I'm working with acrylic paint, and okay. that is kind of my my bread and butter right now. I'm okay. really loving it. Did you do the paintings that are behind you right now? Nice. I did not. My sister did this one, though. Okay. I love, I was admiring while we were talking, like the the curation and selection of, of paintings that you have behind you. It's just really nice. Thank you so much. That means so much to me because it really is me. And it's funny, this apartment that I'm living in, it's my friend from high school. And I would say that about 80% of the things in here are hers. However, it's as if I had decorated it myself. And it feels so homey and it feels so natural. And so yeah. thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's nice to have. I kind of, it's funny, the the parallels. I sort of have the same thing. I um I moved into my boyfriend's apartment about six months ago. And then mm -hmm. a lot of it is like his style, his aesthetic. But then I have like, for instance, my bookshelf that's behind me. And so whenever someone like is looking through the bookshelf, I'm like, oh yeah, that's like my my contribution that's my part of the apartment so I get like <laughs> a sense of pride um when people admire the things that that I brought to the space so <laughs> mm -hmm. I wanted to say when you changed rooms the green behind you I love it I love it's something that I need to add more into this apartment um yeah. slowly but surely but yeah it's just it brings it brings life to the space and yeah Thank you. Yeah, that was another pride of mine was the plants that I brought. Um, and so I'm really happy that they're flourishing here. <laughs> Molly, this, this conversation was such a pleasure, such a pleasure from the deepest part of my heart. And I, if you'd be interested, I'd look forward to having another conversation with you. Yeah, I would love to. This was so lovely and such a good first podcast experience like I feel like we aligned on so much I think we'd be friends mm -hmm. if we didn't live an ocean apart <laughs> you have space in New York City whenever you're here you have a couch to crash on <laughs> <laughs> thank you so and if you're ever in Amsterdam come hang out <laughs> I would love to I would absolutely okay. love to I will take you up on that <laughs> okay cool okay